eye-opener for me and um, yeah, seeing how, how they had faith and, and were part of the incredible story that we're all part of. So over to you, Robert. We're good now. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, the Garden Lounge, and good morning if you're watching this online. Thank you for tuning in. Hope, and I hope you've all tuned in this morning. As Caleb said, we're, we've started a series on the Gospel of Matthew that we will be coming back to uh, during the year. Uh, just before Easter, I'll be doing chapter three, and Caleb's going to do chapter four. So things to look forward to. But uh, if you remember last week, for those who were here, and if you, if you weren't here or if you didn't watch it online yet, I encourage you to go to the church's YouTube site and watch large, last week's talk so that it can give you some, some background. But if you remember, the Gospel of Matthew was written by one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Matthew, who was a tax collector, and, and he became a follower of Jesus. And the, the Gospel of Matthew, I mentioned last week, is written from a real Jewish perspective and to get really good understanding we need to actually read it and study it from uh, from that Jewish viewpoint so that we can actually take on board some of the uh, strategies and the and the real sneaky little things that Matthew under the anointing of the Holy Spirit has included into his gospel just to grab people's attention especially especially the Jewish people and we and last week we, we identified that in the very first verse, which uh, as the uh, church leaders um, canonized scripture decided that they were going to start with the Gospel of Matthew, it's the very first verse of the New Testament, it brings Jesus right into the center. And Matthew makes three absolutely incredible claims in that very first verse, which um, I mentioned last week that from us looking as believers 2,000 years down the track, it just looks normal. But if you were a non-Christian Jew at the time and you happened to pick up the, what, what Matthew had written and read this first verse, you'd be thinking, what's he saying here? Because he claims that Jesus is the Messiah and the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. He claims that someone who, a Messiah, someone who can actually uh, bring people back to God be the intermediate tree to take away the penalty of sin and, and bring, uh, bring them back into a relationship with God. They were looking for a son of David, someone who had the right to sit on the throne of David. And, and that translates to actually sitting, the king that sits on the throne of God's kingdom. And then, of course, he was the son of Abraham, which is, uh, Abraham is the father of faith and the father of promise. And Jesus is the one that fulfills promise, God's promise to us. So Matthew made these claims, and then in chapter 1, he uses a tool that the Jewish people found really powerful for justifying his claims, which was the genealogy. And we went through that last week. This week, we're going to start looking at another tool or another mechanism that is really powerful in the Jewish culture for justifying the claims that Matthew made. And that was the fulfillment of prophecy. The fulfillment of prophecy. And, and chapter 2 is really a focus on that. In fact, in chapter 1, he starts that off when we read in verse uh, 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
And Matthew's already started identifying that the virgin birth is a fulfillment of prophecy. And the word fulfill in the NIV occurs 16 times in the Gospel of Matthew, far more than in any other of the the Gospels that are there. And um, it's a real theme that runs through the Gospel of Matthew. It's fulfilling God's plan and His purpose and the prophetic words. And there are other examples which don't use the word fulfill, but it is a demonstration that that, uh, Jesus fulfilled God's plans and purposes. And it's one of the themes that runs right through Matthew. And we're going to be picking that up as we hit chapter 2. Are you ready? So we're going to be working through chapter 2. And we'll be seeing as we go through there how Matthew is bringing to light fulfillment of prophecy. If when At Christmas time, when we're looking at the birth of Jesus, we normally jump to the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a historian. And he, he put in a lot of detail into the history, and there's a lot of stuff that comes in with the Gospel of Luke. Matthew is not doing this from a historical perspective. He picks out key elements because he's wanting to actually bring, uh, first of all, that indication of fulfilling prophecy, justifying his first claim, but he is also subtly just wanting to make drop some hints at some things that we'll pick up as we go through. In there, that we'll, we'll discover, well, one thing we won't go into is that there's a clear example that all those who are actually looking for God, God will lead. And you can pick that up as we go through, and I'll leave you to think through that, as long as it doesn't switch you off from what I'm saying. Um, but we're also going to pick up that there is a, a key comparison between three types of people. And there's a key uh, thing to consider around three locations that Jesus was in. So we're going to look at that this morning. So let's start with Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Let's just uh, get the star out of the road for a start. So uh, there's, there's two in, um, understandings of what that star may have been. So it could easily have been a celestial body, actually a star in the sky, and, and we know that uh, early sailors used the stars for navigation, so it, it could have been some star in the sky, and in fact, uh, Chinese and Korean astronomy records indicate that in 5 BC there is a supernova in the sky. They actually record that, and so, uh, and for those who don't know what a supernova is, it's an exploding star, so it looks very bright. It would have been something uh, that was there. So that is one possible uh, thing that the star could have been. Also, it could easily have been an angel. Numerous places in the Bible, uh, angels are described as stars. One of the uh, ones you can think about is in Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus says he's holding the seven stars in his hands that are the seven angels of the churches in Asia. So it could have easily been an angel looking like a star leading the, the Magi in. So uh, either of those are possibilities. But what I want us to really think about is who were the Magi? Who were they? Now, there was a 
eighth century, basically, novel written, which described them as uh, one of them as being a, a king of Persia, one being a king of India, and one being a king of um, Arabia, and gave them names. And, and when we get the Carol We Three Kings of Orient are, that's sort of where that comes from. I think that more modern historical research has indicated that the, the Magi came from a people group called media and, and nothing to do with the news. And they, there was a tribe there which rather than trying to go for political power, they went for religious power in the, in the world there and, and became absolute religious leaders in the, in the Babylonian and the Persian Empire that followed. And very much they were equivalent to the Levites in Israel. So there wouldn't have been a sacrifice performed without a Magi being there. And they were people who researched, they studied astronomy and astrology, they were classed as wise men, they were interpreters of dreams. It was one of the things that they were known for. And we, we in Daniel chapter 2... It is thought that the, the, the uh, interpreters of dreams referred to in Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter 2 were magi. And if, we, uh, if you remember that story, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon at the time, has a dream. And he calls all, calls all his wise men, most likely magi, in to say, look, I've had this dream, it really upsets me, and I want you to interpret it. And they, and they say to him, well, king, tell us your dream so we can give you the interpretation. And he said, uh-uh, I'm not going to fall for that trick. If you're going to give me the correct interpretation, I actually want you to tell me what the dream is. And if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you all. No pressure. <laughs> Hold that thought. But at that time, there's a big Jewish presence in the, in the Babylonian Empire. You know, and uh, the Magi were people who studied and researched, so they would have had access to the Torah and other, other books that existed, and they would have been studying and reading those. So just hold that thought. So here they are. Nebuchadnezzar's threatened to kill them unless they can actually tell him what he dreamed and then interpret it. I think, what on earth can we do about this? In comes Daniel. A Jew. And he says, look, God is the one that uh, uh, brings interpretation to dreams. Give me a few, well, give me a day or whatever it was to go away, ask God, and I'll come back and, and tell you what you want to know. And he did. He came back, told King Nebuchadnezzar what he had dreamed, and gave him the interpretation. Now, if you were sitting there as a magi, just having your life threatened, unable to do what the king had asked you to do, and along comes this Jew who does exactly that, demonstrates that he can actually hear God give, give the dream. What do you think your sudden, sudden level of uh, thought about uh, the Jewish traditions, their writings, their whole aspect around God and that sort of thing would have done? They would have had lights come on, they would have grabbed the readings that they had and gone back into them and studied afresh. And they would have known this verse here from Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, that says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. 
They were looking for a sign. And in fact, first, uh, Roman first century historians, Suetonius and Tacitus, wrote that around that time, there was a, a, through the known world, there was a clear expectation that a ruler was going to rise up out of Judea. They were um, secular historians who were writing that, that all around that was expected. So the Magi were looking for something. So when the star came, they weren't surprised and they followed to, to find out where this ruler was coming from. So we carry on with our reading. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, that is a quotation from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, except it's a misquotation. Or at least, scholars say that the last part of it could have been taken from another verse in the Torah, which was talking about that a shepherd would be raised up. And they just, for the sake of convenience, have combined two verses to share that to, the, to King Herod. But if you actually look at what Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says... But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times, referring that the ruler would have been right there at the beginning of time. The one who created the world. Matthew is trying to give us a really clear indication of who this Jesus is. But let's just consider the chief priests and rulers. You know, they knew this. Magi come in, say, where do we find this ruler who's being born? The chief priests knew this. Bethlehem was 10 kilometers from Jerusalem. It probably still is. Now, back in the day, I've run 10 kilometres in, in 34 and a half minutes. Uh, Robert Holland's probably run it in 30 minutes. Uh, people walking, uh, if they walk at 6 k's an hour, can do it in probably an hour and a half, thereabouts. With camels and those sorts of things, let's give them, say, it's three hours to get there and back. Here is foreigners coming in saying that the ruler that the Jewish leaders have been looking for, the Jewish people are looking for, is being born in Bethlehem right now. There's signs proving it. We're going to go see him. What did the chief priest do? Absolutely nothing. Think about that. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child and his mother Mary. Um, and uh, it's, this could have been anywhere two, up to two years after Jesus was born, and it is unlikely that Joseph and Mary and Jesus would have still been living in the manger or the cave under a house um, where he was born. They would have most likely have rented a house or bought a house in that, in that area. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So King Herod, or also known as Herod the Great, was a ruler of the region. And one of the ways that the Roman Empire controlled the vast... Uh, part of the world that they were in charge of was that they'd set up puppet kings in areas to manage those, those societies. Now, now, Herod the Great was not a Jew. He was 50% uh, Edomite. It's from the uh, country of e Edom, which you read about in the Old Testament. The Jews didn't class him as a Jew. But if success as a leader is... Uh, recognize about your ability to hold peace and control uh, a region, then uh, Herod was one of the most successful uh, non-Jewish leaders of all time. Because he's the only one that didn't have an uprising while he was in charge. So in that sense he's successful. But here we, here we start on comparing three people Magi's, hello guys <laughs> three people <laughs> prophetic <laughs> okay we've got that out of our system <laughs> okay so we're, we're comparing three people we've got the Magi, we've got the chief priest and we've got King Herod How do these three peoples respond to Jesus? King Herod was absolutely um, anti. He was aggressive. We'll read shortly that he actually kills kids from two years younger, trying to actually stop Jesus from actually existing and gaining authority. Now, people respond to Jesus this way. And I suspect that for all of us, there's been times and aspects of our life where we've responded to Jesus this way, where there's parts of our lives where we say, Jesus, I do not want you going there. I'm going to stay in charge of this. I'm not going to let you have any influence. In fact, I'm going to fight you on this. And that is one response to Jesus. Then when we think about the chief priests, they were just completely ambivalent. I don't get it. You know, they had all the resource, they had all the foreknowledge, they had all, all the messages from God there, they knew it all, and they did nothing. And we can have the same response to Jesus as well. In fact, I suspect that all of us have had times in our life and had parts of our lives where um, we know it all, and yet we choose to do nothing. 
fact, there may be times when we've all just decided, oh, we, we come along to church because that's what we do. We come along to church. We've been doing it since we were, well, for me, since the age of 13. And, and it's just what we do. And we'll just sit there and, and, and do our time and, and then, then go, and we just are ambivalent to whatever God is doing in the service, and we just don't want anything to do with it. In fact, I wonder if the chief priest even said to the Magi, look, if you do find this, this whoever it is, you know, we're really busy, but if you can tell him that at some stage he can make an appointment with us and if we're available, we'll make time for him. But then you have the Magi. And Gentile people, Matthew, has Gentile people written in here who are so passionate and hungry to find Jesus. They give him their treasures. They worship him, sold out for him. You know, they had backgrounds of which we would think is not acceptable for, acceptable for Jesus. They were in charge of any sacrifice, and I suspect that they may have done child sacrifice at times for people. Things that we would find abhorrent. And yet they came searching for Jesus and worshipped, gave him everything because of who he is doesn't matter our background and I suspect that there are many here today who are just hungry and passionate to seek and worship Jesus three types of responses let's carry on with uh, chapter 2 verse 13 when they had gone an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Um, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the, the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I'll call my son, which comes from Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity. You know, it doesn't matter what the government does. Any government does. We're not called to fight the government. We're called to grow the kingdom. And God will always carry out his purposes. God will always carry out his purposes. God's kingdom will always prevail. I'm not quite sure where that came from. Anyway, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I'm reading through Jeremiah at the moment. I actually read that verse this morning. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. So three places, Bethlehem, Egypt, and Nazareth. 
Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus was born in the house of bread. And Jesus is the bread of life. He said it about himself. There's a real connection there. But Bethlehem was also the family place of King David. That's why Joseph actually went back there for the census, back to Bethlehem. It's the uh, place where King David was born. And once again, Matthew is, is bringing a clarification to his claim that Jesus is the only one that has the right to sit on the throne of King David forever. Not only has he got the right genealogy, not only is he fulfilling scripture, but he also is born from the right town. The, then uh, we have uh, Egypt. Now, the, the verse that refers to that is, we said as a Hosea 11.1, which says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, which is referring literally to uh, Israel being a son of God. But it can also be then looked at that God is doing a parallel, thing, a parallel thing with Jesus, taking him to Egypt and then bringing him back out. So that he's saying that Jesus is God's son. He went into Egypt and came back out into Israel, paralleling exactly what the nation of Israel went through. And then uh, uh, lastly, and if the band can come up, uh, we have Nazareth, which is, there's no actually specific prophetic word about Nazareth in the Old Testament. And scholars believe that's a bit of a play on words, that, that uh, first of all, uh, the, the word Nazareth may be derived from the Hebrew word Nezer, which means branch. And many prophets prophesy about a branch rising up out of Jacob that will be basically the Messiah, the leader of the nation so that there is a direct connection there. But it's also, if you came from Nazareth, you were despised. It was a place that you didn't want to come from as far as a, a Jew was. It was a place of ridicule and of, uh, of um, basically you, you're no good if you came from Nazareth. And what does the Bible describe the Messiah as? Someone who is despised, Again, Matthew is saying, this is the Messiah, fulfilling scripture. Not only does his genealogy, genealogy match up, but he fulfills prophetic messages throughout scripture. He is the one. And this morning, I think we just need to think about how we want to respond to Jesus today. Do we want to be like King Herod and say, well, there's aspects of my life, Jesus, that I just do not want you to touch and I'm going to fight you every step of the way to stop you from doing that? Or are we going to be like the chief priests and just be ambivalent, say, oh, it's just another Sunday, I'll come, I'll go, I'll, I'll have my lunch, go and do whatever I'm going to do this afternoon? Or do we want to be like the Magi? and say, Jesus, I am just so hungry to go after you. I want to seek you. I want to find you. I want to worship you. I want to give you everything I have, everything that I count as a treasure is yours. And I surrender to you. Let's stand.